Hi, everybody. Welcome to the MESPA Principal Cast. This is Brett Domstrand, Principal at Lake Marion Elementary in Lakeville, Minnesota. And I'll be hosting the Principal Cast with two very special guests. But before I introduce them, I would like to remind you that you can go to mespa.net backslash institute to get registered for Winter Institute coming up um, February 5th through the 7th. And this year, we are proud to say that we have four keynotes over 40 sessions, and it's all in one place for three days. Take the time to get out there, do work on your own professional development so you can model it for your staff. And so again, go to mespa.net backslash institute and register today. Early bird pricing goes through next week, and then the price will go up to $425. So get that $50 discount, everybody. And without further ado, I would like to welcome tonight's guests. And today I have Beth Huff and Shelly Burgess from Lead Like a Pirate. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having us, Brett. We're, we're looking forward to the conversation and, and looking forward to joining everybody at the Institute. You know, what's, what's really great is um, having the two of you, you'll be speaking on Friday. And Friday for us is when we're really wrapping up the conference. And so to really start our day getting to to listen to your message of lead like a uh, lead like a pirate it's it's phenomenal the the message that goes in there some of this feels like it's it's intuitive and then when you start reading the details and you start thinking about you know if you can just do all of these things it would it it feels ideal and and so i want to just talk a little bit about how you came about writing this book can you share with us how the two of you came together yeah sure beth do you want to start Sure, that'd be great. So I had the opportunity um, in the summer of 2014, I was really disillusioned with my work. Um, I was a a kind of a child of the no child left behind. I don't even know where to say with that, but I was a principal (laughs) coming up from that. And I, my very first year as a principal, like two weeks before I started, I found out we were a failing school. And so just all the work that comes into that. And I had spent so many years chasing data. And so I went to 2014, this summer, I went to the National Association for Elementary School Principal Conference, and I was ready really to change my career, not even stay in education, but to move careers. But I went to this conference with one of my good friends. And at the conference, um, we were at a social, met a principal from New Jersey and they said, hey, you know, I, I told my story a little bit. They said, hey, are you on Twitter? I said, well, I have a Twitter. I'm not really sure what to do with it. I don't really know. Like, I don't care about what the Kardashians are doing. That's not really, <laughs> you know. And but the um, Jay Billy, who who happened, that happened to be, who is now one of my dear friends, Shelly's dear friends as well, said, you know, it's you can connect with so many different people. As a principal, sometimes it's really hard because not, not everyone in your building does what you do. And he also said, hey, have you ever heard of Teach Like a Pirate? I said, no, I have not. I've not heard of that. And I went back that evening and, and Googled it. And I found an article written by Shelley, actually. It was all about lead like a pirate. And what I realized in that moment, I wasn't really leading like myself. I was leading the way I thought principals were supposed to lead. And when I read that article by Shelley, I was like, oh, my goodness, I've got it wrong. It talks about leading with passion and and really being enthusiastic and leading like yourself. And so I, I watched the next day Dave Burgess do a Skype on the whole TLAP message, and I realized, wow, I was missing out. And so that's kind of how I got into that that whole idea. I, I joined a TLAP chat not too many weeks later, and then someone said, hey, you, there's an awesome leadership chat on Saturday mornings. 
that Shelly moderates. And so at that point, connected with Shelly, and then really the rest is kind of history. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, I think Beth covered it and how we, you know, how we got connected. And um, we, it's actually, it's, it's interesting because we spent a lot of time together, you know, in conversations and Google Hangouts and, and it's, you know, on the phone, those kinds of things. And we spent, um, we didn't actually spend any time together face to face until we'd already decided to write the book together. We'd been um, working together on a Google doc, you know, getting together on weekends through hangouts and those kinds of things. And, and actually met for the first time, um, face to face. And I think it was Indiana, wasn't it Beth? And, uh-huh. and got together and, and started to work on the lead like a pirate workshop, um, do some, some things around the book. And so that's, um, that's really, that's really where it came from. Well, and you've developed a pretty close friendship then. So, so the two of you came to know each other through a professional learning network then. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. That's so, so teach like a pirate and, and, and lead like a pirate talk about your PLN and, and everyone, if you're, well, I'll say this again, and we we've, we've said it a few times uh, is you really need to be on Twitter. There's edu Twitter has so many great resources and people that are out there being vulnerable and sharing and and sharing their passions and and Beth, you mentioned passion when you when you were introducing yourself and one of the beginning parts of, of Lead Lab talks about finding your passion and leading with passion and and a quote I took um, took away was that you don't have to be passionate about everything because um, there's some things you don't there you just can't be passionate about but talk a little bit about why that passion matters in leadership. Yeah, you know, I think I think that there's there's a couple of things that you said. You know, the the idea, you know, when you when you lead with passion, we actually talk about in the book and and um, when we're together. You know, that passion's really the roadmap. And actually, one of the things that I I loved about being a building principal is that um, you get to make your passions come to life. Um, you know, the things that, that you really care about that really matter to you as an educator, when you're leading a, a building or a system, you get the opportunity to take those passions and, and to turn them into um, the real inner workings, um, inner workings of a school. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about being a principal and um or, or being a leader at, at anywhere at any point in the system. And so um, I think that's one of the exciting things. I think um, the other thing when you're talking about too, that I think one of the things that happens to leaders sometimes is that we lose connection with those passions um, because we're doing so many things day to day that are the pieces of the work that we aren't passionate about. And, and like you said, we, we don't believe that you should be or are or need to be about be passionate about every piece of the work that you do as a leader. Um, but what you have to do is figure out how to minimize the amount of time that you spend on those things that you aren't passionate about. You have to do them well. You have to do them efficiently. Right. You have to make sure that there are systems in place to make sure that those things get handled. But um, you really have to be able to figure out time. And we talk about it in the book too, um, in the immersion chapter and, and throughout the book, about how do you find time really to lead and, and lead with that passion um, and do the things that, that really are the most important work of um, making a school or a system successful. You know, the, both of you emphasize throughout throughout the book the 
I, I don't want to say the soft pieces because I don't, I don't feel soft is the right word, but because when we're talking about immersion, we're talking about passion, when, when, when those models of leading, sometimes it's hard to measure the level of that, but you also keep the focus on not losing sight of data. And so as leaders, talk a little bit about how you embed the, the data you look at, because sometimes we look at great data and other times we go, ooh, that didn't look so good. And, and how do you wrap that into the, the lead like a pirate message? Well, I'll, I'll jump in a little bit here. I feel like um, I've had the opportunity to lead two amazing buildings, um, the first as an elementary and then as a middle school. And I think as a brand new principal, I, I you know, like I said, two weeks in before I, before the kids came back and the staff came back, you know, I was told that my school was failing. And so I went into that 31 years old, brand new, and I knew we had to change the data quickly. And so I was like, all right, here we go. And I really led with data. And that was, again, so we had the data walls and we tracked everything and everything that moved, we measured it, mm. but I lost culture in that. And so when I had the opportunity to, to lead my second school, I knew that culture had to come first because culture first, and that's what something that I, th I feel like hopefully resonates within our book is that it's gotta be that culture first, culture next, culture always, because mm -hmm. you can move along a building that has low culture, but it takes so much longer. When the culture's right, you are able to make data, like you, you can make it happen so much quicker. And so I think that's, to me, the big difference is focus on the culture first, because when a kids want to come into school every day, when our staff want to come in school every day, when our well principals want to come to school every day, it's <laughs> right. so much easier to move the data. And I think for me as a new principal, I had lost that. And really kind of the climate of like politically within our educational system was that of, hey, we've got to make sure everybody's got to move the numbers quickly. So. And one of the things that, you know, I would add, I would add to that um, too. And, I, and Beth is, Beth is so right. And, and it's so funny because we have similar stories in terms of entering into our first leadership roles. I was also 31. I was a, a principal of, a, you know, that the school was a failing school. Um, so we had very similar entry points. Um, she was pregnant though. I was, yeah, I was pregnant. pregnant. That's true. I was, I was six Second year I was pregnant, not the first year though. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of the things similar to what Beth said, um, same thing. I mean, the, the first place that I went um, was data and, and, the, you know, creating the pretty charts, the pretty graphs, and and trying to convince people pretty quickly um, that these were, you know, these were things that that needed to change. And what I what I found is that um, really what we needed to do was turn um, turn the numbers into faces. And and it wasn't enough to just give people numbers and, and fancy charts. It was really needing to personalize data. And be able to see the the stories of the kids behind um, the data. Um, you know, when I when I walked into the school, there were lots and lots of excuses um, for what the data was, um, and and none of it really was taking um, ownership. And so, so we spent some time. I spent some time early on creating data to share that wasn't necessarily about every single child right away, but was about who are the kids we can all agree. Um, that we own, the kids that have been with us since either kindergarten or first grade, um, the kids who show up every day, the kids who are like, let's take a look at that group and let's put names and faces behind them and let's see how they're doing. And what we found is those kids that everybody in the room could agree 
that they're, they're, we don't we really don't have excuses for this group of kids. Um, they weren't successful either, and I, I think that that was a, a big turning point for us. And and I think too, like Beth said, how do you do that while also creating a culture that is you know we're we're about learning here and and defining what kind of school do we want for our kids, what kind of school do we want for our staff. I think um, I think doing that is a really important piece um, in addition to the data that, like Beth said, the data starts to improve and start to take care of itself when you're focused on creating amazing learning experiences for kids. You, you know, when the two of you both give answers, you, you're, you're like, as I look at some of the questions I was thinking about asking you, you're, 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 you're getting out ahead of me. And, 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 and it, it, I've got a big smile on my face right now, <laughs> just, just listening to you going, okay, this is, this, this is the stuff, the, the special sauce as, as, as I like to refer to it. Um, you know, you mentioned, you, you, you mentioned kids. We, we talk about, um, Shelly, that example you just used of, of taking ownership of the kids that have been in our system for since early on, because that is a, that's a great rallying point. And, and a big part, uh, a big section of Lead Lab talks about how we build rapport and trust within our staff and mm -hmm. with as part of our culture. And, Looking at some of those students, Shelley, that could easily be something where people go, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame yep. outside factors, or I'm yep. gonna, this is not my fault for whatever reason it might be." And, and you talk a lot about in the book how we avoid the blame game and and how we build that trust and rapport. Can you can you talk a little bit about how how that how that works and and your thoughts on it? Yeah, sure. Well, I think I think that um, so. There's a couple of things. I think that the the first thing, and you and you have to to really start it um, early on. And again, it's about embedding it into your culture um, over time. You know, it's one. Um, we're all on the same team. Um, we all want the same thing for kids. I think that um, you're really being able to convey to your staff and create systems with your staff that um, that emphasize the idea that that we're all in this together are really, really important. Um, I think that the, um, the blame game piece of it, you know, sometimes you just have to address that. Um, you have to address that head on. You know, there, there are things we can't control. You're right. You know, we we can't control we can't control what happens at home. We can't control you know what happens um, when kids walk outside of our doors, but we can control a whole heck of a lot of things that happen. You know, from eight o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon when kids are here. And so, so what are we going to do to maximize that time? What do we want that time to look like for kids? And and I think I think acknowledging that. Um, you know, of course, everything's not perfect, but until we're doing our best. Let's not look outside. Let's look inside. Um, and I and I, I think that that's a, a really important piece to convey. And I, I think that that some of it um, is how you do that um, as a leader. You know, are you you do that in a way that isn't blaming your teachers or blaming your staff? It's you know this is the reality of our situation, and where do we want to go next? You know, what do we want to do? Where do we want to start? And I think having um, we talk about the idea in the book that. Um, that people are are more committed to systems that they help build. So yeah. not creating those things in isolation, but creating them with your team, I think is really important. And I, and we talk a lot in the book and, and we'll talk at the, the workshop too about the whole concept of trust. Um, I know Beth will have a lot to add to this too, but one of the things I think we overlook 
when we are talking about trust as leaders, we talk a lot about how do we earn people's trust? And I, I think that's a key component. But one of the things that's a huge factor in earning people's trust is also giving people trust. And I, I think that the teachers, especially during the No Child Left Behind era, and, and even now when, when there's such high stakes around testing and numbers, teachers are used to getting blamed for things. And teachers have, we've had a, a long history of not trusting teachers. You know, we do, we create, we give them scripted programs and tell them to teach, you know, from point A to point B and don't deviate from the, the script. And those aren't honoring, those types of things don't honor the professionals that they are. So I think that, um, that that piece is really important is how do you also give people trust, treat them like the professionals that they are and go on a journey together is, is a really critical piece of that work. Definitely. Totally agree. Um, everything like, again, we're on the same team and we're on the same team, team kid. I mean, that's, that's the thing. We all do what we do, no matter our title for our kids and for the future. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. And I think for me, it's like, how can I make sure that I'm always living that and, and no matter. And so today our day, first day back has been uh, professional development. And I think that's something that hopefully that everything that we write resonates too, as we roll our sleeves up and work alongside teachers. And I think something that Shelly and I both have talked a lot about too is leadership. A lot of times you hear you have to lead from the back and I, I don't necessarily agree that's true. You have to lead where you need to lead from. And sometimes I need to lead out front. Sometimes I need to lead side by side. Sometimes I need to lead from the back. It depends on what your staff, what your kids, what your families, what your community needs. Mm -hmm. um, but really also building trust means how can you build sustainable practices within yeah. your building yeah. to yeah. where there's just kind of that, calmness factor of this is the way we do things like building strategies and structures that of you know like our norms our team agendas i know that sounds kind of not fun but like we have team agendas that we've built in we have our norms that we've built we've built our mission our vision our collective commitments all those things that you build collaboratively and when your staff know what's going on that helps build that trust too so figuring out what are those practices that you have developed together um that builds so much trust, I feel like, as well. So just a few more things there. When I, I'm going to add to something that you said too, Beth, and I, um, when I, you know, we could talk about trust and rapport and, and community building. <laughs> How long do you have, Brett? On this <laughs> right, exactly. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those things that we believe is, is so, so essential. Um, and, you know, and I, I think another piece of, of trust and another piece of building rapport is, is the whole idea, do we have collective, do we have collective clarity? And, you know, Beth, Beth is talking about that, but do we have collective clarity on what the goals are? Do we have collective clarity on what the purpose is um, of why we're here and, and what we do? Does your staff know you and, and what you care about? Are you clear with your expectations? All those kinds of things um, also help define you as a leader and help you earn trust. You know, people don't like to be surprised. People don't um, like you to uh, be wishy-washy. People like you to be clear. Um, mm -hmm. You know, clarity, there's a, a great quote by, um, I think it's Marcus Buckingham, you know, the idea that clarity is the antidote to anxiety. So, so all those things, Beth's talking about norms and, and how we do business and how we run meetings and those, um, you know, that, that clarity um, in, in how that's all going to work and how we work together is a really critical piece um, in, in building trust and building rapport and building systems that are successful. And I, I often equate it back to the, when you go into a restaurant, first thing you want to know is, do I seat myself or are they going to seat me? 
And there's so much of that as a staff. People just want to know, like, what's that collective norm of what we're supposed to do? And, you know, something we've done here and I'll, and I'll probably will be something that we share potentially at the conference is, oh, somebody's here at school coming to say hi to me. But like, <laughs> hey, we're walking. Okay, just sounds good. Lunch. Thank you. They're doing a little wellness walking here at Fulton Middle School right now at whatever time it is at night. Um, but so like our book of FMS, our leadership team developed a book of FMS for the teachers by the teachers. And so that book of FMS is 30, like 30 slides of the things you need to know from the schedule to the norms to the whatever. So again, it's like, don't make people have to chance it, like being able giving that, that option to them. So when you leave people to guess, that's when people make mistakes. And, mm-hmm. and, and you talk about make it safe so people can make mistakes, yes. but if people are guessing then, then they stop t- then, and, and they're not sure if they're right or they don't feel safe to do it. They'll, they'll stop. I, you know, it's uh, um, thinking, thinking about that. I, I, there's two things. One is uh, Brene Brown's uh, most recent book. She talks about being clear is kind. Yes. And, and, and I think about that trust and rapport that, yes. that we're talking about here. And, and it really does matter. And, you know, um, another piece, you know, you use that lifeguard example. Um, lifeguard versus swimmer mm-hmm. and and Beth because you were kind of alluding to it there is the is I think that your um, the metaphor of w- which one are you going to be the lifeguard sits above it isn't getting into the water with everybody but how long can you lead that way when you're only calling out when someone's in trouble or something's not going right um, that I think that that all kind of ties together Mm-hmm. And because our time is short, <laughs> there's a there's a couple things I want to make sure that we do that we do talk about. And 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 Beth, I'm going to go back to you again here. Shelly, you've been you've been giving some fabulous answers, but I I, I don't know who w- was responsible for this. But the 10 tips that make that, that that make teams tick and and you really share a, a great little a chart about the different things that really build good culture and build great teams and. And I don't want to put you on the spot or anything. Yeah, but... no, that's okay. I just actually read that. I remember reading because it was really hard for me to say ten tips for teams because like, I just read that in the audio, the audio book, book, so we've just that revisited. was something that I, I mean, I typed, but I know it was Shelly and I collectively coming up with that. But I feel like that's something I know that both of us. That's one of the reasons why I feel like um, I love working with Shelly so much is we have so much that we feel for across the miles. We have so much that we feel very passionate about together. Is like we know that you have got to have teams that support the work you do as leaders. We cannot do it alone. We just can't. There is no way in in the course of a day that we really, truly can do it alone. So you have to make sure that you have teams that are that are making it happen in your absence or, you know, just I think that's huge. And so definitely those I know a few of them to me, I, I think I already shared a few of the, uh, the ideas from there, but you kind of kind of hand it over and, and create that shared leadership because my goal is that if something happens and I have to be gone for a month, this building is going to last and do well and thrive despite that fact. And I think um, that's kind of those, those 10 tips are definitely that for sure. And I think that's a little bit of legacy building is that when you build, when you build something and it's built well, um, I don't know which one of you makes the quote about uh, whatever, um, like people are less likely to tear down a system that they help create. Mm-hmm. And so that shared leadership model and having that collective vision, if you're doing it all together, 
if you're gone, well, e the machine still continues to run because everyone's invested in that success. Absolutely. When I think what you said, you know, one of the things that's really important to both of us is that we, you know, you can dwell, you know, you talked about the lifeguard leader concept, you know, you can, um, you can get, and, and I've seen it and I've been a part of a system where it's been the case, you can make some movement um, with compliance. And you can, I mean, there's, there's no, you know, ifs, ands, or buts about it. You can, you can make some moves uh, when people are compliant, but, but the real gains and the, the real change in schools when you, it happens when you're building commitment as opposed to compliance. And, and that's, um, that's really what both Beth and I believe, we believe so strongly in, in the work that helps us work together with a team of people and help them build commitment to the work, build a collective commitment, really. Which takes longer. And that's the yep, thing I yep. think it's hard for, especially for new leaders, as I've meant as, you know, both of us have had the opportunity to mentor, but like right now, as I'm mentoring new leaders, it's like, it is going to take a little bit longer, but the th it's not, leaders aren't just adults too. You know, like when we decide to adopt a new benchmarking program or anytime we decide to do something massively different in our school, we bring in our kids, we bring in our staff. And I think that's something that sometimes people aren't used to, but it, it's, if that, that kind of is the living part of that, you know, people, people definitely support the systems that they help build. And our, you know, our benchmark program that we brought, we, we changed it, but we very first meeting that we had with the, the, the sponsor was our student council president and interventionist and myself, and they had to get through us first. And then once, then we brought in, I put something out to all of our kids and said, Hey, Anybody that wants to be on a focus team to help pick our next benchmark test, sign up here. And then all of our staff, as well as the kids that wanted to be part of that, sat down. And it was awesome. The questions that they asked the groups that came in, phenomenal. And did they really want to take the benchmark test once they picked it? Not necessarily, but they knew, <laughs> you know, but they knew that they had ownership. But they had some ownership of it. Exactly. exactly. In our, our interview process, we have kids sit in on our interview process. Sometimes kids that are in trouble, I'll say, you know what? Part of your restorative punishment is you have to sit on an interviews for teachers and it's awesome because they sit there, they think they're in trouble, but really it's, if I have a kiddo that's been in trouble a little bit and they sit in on a, a teacher interview and they actually help me select that teacher. Wow. What the ownership, you know, like the ownership is there. So you can't just say you believe in it. you got to figure out what are the strategies, how can I make it happen? And not everybody always supports those practices because that's not what's typical. So you have to figure out how can I make this happen in my district too? So, well, and it sounds like both of you understand that when you're leading you're not always going to have a hundred percent of everybody on board with every decision because that's it, it's so hard to do and and i and both of you are change agents and so you're moving things forward yeah. so when i i it, think when you say that brett that i i think you're right you don't have to have a hundred percent of people on board and i think that also goes back to the you know what are where do you have agreements and norms and, and clarity around those and right. and i think one a key thing to do in situations where there are a lot of people involved in decision makings is do we have an, a common understanding and working definition of what consensus means that doesn't it doesn't mean that everybody has to agree at, you know Definitely. but it means that when the will you know for us it was when the will of the group is evident and everybody's had an opportunity to voice um you know have a voice and you know, the collective, you know, you can see the will of the group that you're not going to sabotage it and you're going to go forward and, and you're going to be committed to it. Um, and I, I think that having that working definition of consensus and, and everybody knowing what that means is really critical.
it is, you know, now I want to, I want to just, I'm going to take a quote and I don't know which one of you said this, but I'm going to, I've got it written down here. So I'm going to read this and then I'm going to ask my question here at this school. It doesn't matter who your child's teacher is, whoever it is, I guarantee that your child will have an amazing learning experience here. And, and when I think about if as a leader, if you can stand there in front of a parent or a group of parents or to a whole gym full of families and you say that and the passion that you can bring into making that statement what that does to build immediate rapport and trust with families yes. now you use this in the anchor conversations chapter but i think about how universal making a statement like that can be um can, can, I, I don't know who came up with it but i just want to I, I i first i wanted to read it and then just say with that as a foundation of a statement that you make, that your teachers hear, that all of our staff members hear, and all of our families hear, I think about that impact. Um, talk a little bit about how that comes to be in a conversation and how how that, that phrase came to be. Well, I think, um, I'll start. I think that the, um, that, that phrase, that, that I, I think that what that speaks to um, for me, and, and I know Beth may have um, some to add, but what that really speaks to to me um, is, is our role as principals, as leaders in our schools, in the work that we have to do in coaching and supporting teachers. Because if, if we make that statement and we believe that statement to be true, then, then we've got to be in classrooms. We've got to know what the expectations of instruction and learning um, in our school are. And then we've got to do the work to coach, support, give feedback. We have to be really competent in our in ourselves and in the work that we do and understanding good and strong pedagogy. Um, and so, so I think that, that that's, that's a key piece of that statement for me is, is the, the work that we have to do as leaders to ensure that all of our classrooms meet that standard. Um, and it's critical work for us as principals in schools. It absolutely is. It, it, it was just so profound and I've, I, I've said that in so many different ways, but never so acutely and and summatively in a way that just says we are amazing, and this is why. And, and putting it in such a such a wonderful phrasing, you know. And, and speaking of how we how we phrase things, um, you, you know, the the power of words is. And this is kind of how we're we'll wrapping up our, our our conversation today. Is when we talk about thinking out loud. And what impact our thinking out loud has on our staff, on our families, on our students? Um, share a little bit about the the positives and the negatives of thinking out loud, and why our framing is so important when we're doing that. Sure, sure. And I'm going to steal a moment to like also share about my thoughts on the last quote you talked about. Yeah, because yeah. that to me was very personal. I've had the opportunity. Um, my oldest son is a, a sophomore in high school now. And from that quote was very much about how I am okay with my son being in any class in the school. My son was with me all through the elementary school that I was the principal of. And then all through the, I moved up to middle school when he moved up to middle school. Oh. So it became very much that mantra of if a, if a teacher is good enough for my own child, you know, you know, that was my kind of my moral compass of if a, a teacher's not good enough for my own child, then whose child are they good enough for? Because my child has had many opportunities and, you know, and privileges that other people's children might not have had. And so, you know, when I've had to go and meet with a school board about teachers and whether or not they should be here or shouldn't be here, that was kind of that piece. But that was a piece that the school board completely got behind. 
you know, as well. So to me, that was that, that piece. Um, but I kind of wanted to, wanted to throw that, that in just a little bit. The walk, Beth. Well, I mean, to me, that's the piece. Like, and that's kind of one of my whys. When people talk about my whys is, you know, I want to build schools that I'm proud to send my own children to. Absolutely. If if I have a school that I'm not proud to send my own child to, then, you know, why should anybody else want to send their children to Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Hey, Shelly, your turn. Sorry. Thinking out loud. (laughs) Pirates don't always follow rules, you know. (laughs) So the the thinking out loud piece um, for me, I, you know, I, 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 so there's, there's this balance that you do as a leader, right? And it's, it's a constant balance of that. It's okay to be real and authentic and vulnerable. All those things are important and a part of who you should be as a leader, but you also, at the same time, you have to tread, you have to tread carefully because regardless, and and there's a story that I tell in that chapter actually about a, a principal, a new principal that I worked with, um, who, who was, had actually been a teacher at his school then became a principal at his school. And the story that, that I tell in there is about a, a conference that he attended that he'd been really excited about and, and came back and was just talking about all the, the great things that he'd seen at this conference with, with a, a colleague of his, a teacher at his school. Um, and, and that he, he really, he realized the, the fact he, you know, he looked at her and realized at one point that she was turning green, basically, about all the things that, that he was, that he was saying and, and realized at that moment that where he, where he was just sort of sharing out of fun and excitement because of some of the things that he learned that she saw this, this big giant boss stamp on his forehead and that everything that he was saying, she was thinking about the impact on her and her classroom and, and as a teacher. And, and so I, and, and that all those things that he was really excited about now, now might be expectations, you know, at their school. And so I, I, I love that, that story is an illustration of that idea about, we have to be really careful when we think out loud and you, you don't want it to, to interrupt and, or, or make you inauthentic, but, but you do have to realize that, that people are looking to you They're you know, it, it's the, they're looking to you. And sometimes we talk in the book too, about not just thinking out loud, but also deciding, um, do you speak first or do you speak last in certain situations? Because mm-hmm. when, when you as the leader, put your voice in the room or put an idea in the room, especially in the beginning, before you have that really well-established trust and rapport with your team, that um, you have, you can potentially have a tendency to shut other voices down because, because people think that, you know, your word's going to go and your word is going to be the last word because you're the boss. And so I think you have to be really careful um, about timing of things and when you share your thoughts and your ideas and when you add to the conversation or when you hold back and, and just be a listener. And I, I think um, sort of being a student of your words and the way you think, think about things, the way you say things, I think is an important part of the work that we do. It's the when and the how. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. It, it's knowing the timing and then how you're how you're choosing to communicate. Those are perfect examples of that. It's uh, um, now now we are we are surpassing our, our time. And I, I, I really everyone just, you know, we're recording this on a Monday evening and, and Beth is still at school right now. And Shelly is not even at home. And so uh, the two of you, I just first of all, want to say thank you for being here and, and, and participating in the podcast, because we are so excited to welcome you to Minnesota for for Winter Institute for MESPA. And um, everyone, I'm gonna just uh, uh, invite you again to go to mespa.net backslash institute. 
go on the you, you'll see get off your island click on that link and register now we have early bird pricing for 375 dollars um, save yourself that pd budget and and do that now and uh, otherwise prices will be going up next week and then um, ladies how can everyone find you on social media or how what, whatever your best preference is how can our how can our principals find you out there all so, right you yeah, want to go, go first okay so i am at beth huff b-e-t-h-h-o-u-f on the twitters okay so you can find me there same thing beth huff at gmail.com if you google um, Fulton Middle School in Fulton, Missouri. You can find us on Facebook, on the Instagram, on the TikTok. You can kind of see us a little bit of everywhere there. So happy to connect with you for sure. Yeah. And on Twitter, um, my handle is at Burgess underscore Shelly. And that's Shelly with an E-Y on the end, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. And same thing um, in some of the other social media arenas. And then you can also connect with us on leadlikeapirate.net. We have a, a website. We actually are, are committed to blogging every Friday. So we, you know, we have some new things that, that come out, you know, new content or just things we're thinking about. Every Friday, there's an email list that you can sign up for if you're interested in getting those blogs and, and that kind of stuff just write in your inbox and email. Um, so that's another great place to find us. And, and there's contact information on that site as well. Definitely. And and everyone, Lead Like a Pirate is, is such a fun read. And it's one of those where you can sit down on a Saturday afternoon and, and you can go through cover to cover or you can take it chapter by chapter and just let it soak in. It's a it's a really enjoyable read. So I highly Thank recommend that that you well, hey, it's it, it's been a lot of fun, and and to get to talk with you and just eat, as a little as a little appetizer towards the main course at, at, at Institute, this is uh, it's been a real joy and pleasure, and uh, I, I just can't thank you enough for joining us on the Principal Cast. Thank you so much for having us. Thank on such you. Such short notice too. That's nice of you to give up your Monday evening to be with us. Oh, I'm glad to do it. This is this has been a, a real treat. And so, uh, everyone, again, go to mespa.net backslash institute. Register today. Thank you so much for listening, and make it a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mespa Principal Cast. For more information about the Minnesota Elementary School Principals Association, visit mespa.net.